Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. It is really good uh, for me uh, to be with you today. Uh, I am excited in, to, in sharing this kind of moment uh, that we'll have later at the font. Uh, coming to you, uh, I bring you greetings from the rest of your church uh, and am grateful uh, that um, they scheduled this on the first Sunday of Lent because, you know, hey, the bishop's here. Let's hear about... Satan, right? Uh, as Jacob said, I do love you. And if you allow me just to hold some space for us today and uh, to allow me to sort through the beginning of our Lent together. I think we can't ignore the passage. I think we actually have to lean towards it and lead into it. Um, and as I did so this week, I began to think about the words from Johnny Cash. He's a long-tongued liar a midnight rider, a rambler, a gambler, a backbiter. He's a trickster, I will tell you, and a deceiver. He is the dark one, the imposter king who offers all of us a promised reality called power, politics, social success, and wealth that only exists in our minds. Pleased to meet you. I hope you've guessed my name, question Mick. Yet the puzzles, what puzzles us is the nature of the game. It's the nature of that game that's being played all around us. Regardless of your take on the devil or use of the name for shorthand, uh, for evil, or if you laugh it off saying, Beetlejuice, 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 the Prince of Worms, you have no truck with me. Perhaps you believe in a human evil, as Mick reminds us, right? 
when after all, it was you and me. And that gets us to the journey of Lent, to courageously ponder that for a moment. No matter how we approach the problem of evil, we have to speak plainly and clearly about this as faithful people and as, a, as Episcopalians. And today, in fact, we're going to gather at the back in the service of confirmation and renounce evil and confirm a commitment to Christ together, kind of as we hold one another in that. This is to say, first and foremost, I think importantly, that Christ loves us no matter how we arrive here today. Christ loves us. His, resur- His resurrected and glorified wounds, if you will, publish a truth about our life that we must face, as Paul invites us to in that second passage. Truth about God's everlasting ability, resourcefulness, and intentions to restore humanity into relationship with God. God deeply wants to have us gathered within God's arms and embrace. God loves us in a way that even on our worst days is very difficult to understand. It is this that Christ, uh, it is this Christ that we are committing to. In Christ, there is a coherence, though, also to the question of evil worth thinking about, I think. And upon this, we have to meditate and ponder and face it. It is the sacrifice of God that assists us in making sense of actually what's happening in the world around us. I like McCord Adams' approach to this. And so I'm playing a little bit with her words about philosophical and theological depth Uh, that she brings to the question. And Lynn, it's important for us to understand that God relates to all humanity through our human nature, both through our spirit and our bodies. Through our very beings, God is in relationship with us, uh, regardless of what that being is, actually. We are all gods. We've been created and molded beautifully and particularly by God. And we, in turn, relate to each other through that same human nature. Sometimes well, on our best days, sometimes, as you and I both know, not so good. In the human relationship, though, we broker our nature. Economies are built upon taking advantage of one another. Our gifts, our time, our efforts, our very bodies, human life, where work itself, the action of human nature, is commodified. And it doesn't matter what system of economics or philosophy you want to follow, somehow we in this world make livelihoods and wealth out of our human nature. This commodification is a diminishing of the human being itself into the product of the human being's labor a type of elimination, if you will. It is a disappearance of that beloved humanness for the sake of economics and money. Into the shadows of the economic machine, we begin to fade, meaning we do not see those who actually give us what it takes to live. 
We rarely see those who grew, planted, harvested our food. We do not know the names of the people who clean our workplaces. Or maybe we're the unnamed people who clean the workplaces. We do not see the hands that wash the dishes after a meal served in someone else's house or in a restaurant. The disappearance of humans into this economic system, twist God's creation and humanity and the earth itself into kind of a a farcical farcical, uh, misrepresentation of our created purpose. For we are truly meant not just for God, but for one another. And to know and call us each other by name. Thus, we vanish And along with that vanishing, so does God and God's purpose. We participate in setting God aside and allowing God to fade as well. God's purpose for us, yes, but also God to fade into the back. This endarkenment, a word I got from Ray Wiley Hubbard, but I love, means that we become members of an invisible blockchain of physical and spiritual life for one another. We don't know one another. So this invisible societal machine continues to churn, making these exchanges of physicality and spirituality such that we participate, all of us, all of us. We cannot live in this society or any society in the world without Now, you could be a hermit, right, and grow maybe grow your own food, but then you've removed yourself either. So we're invited to live in the world, but it is the living in the world where we continually fail. These are also, I would suggest, sacrifices. These are sacrifices of people to one another, to us. We become like priests, taking in what is received, consuming it, using it in this unnamed chain. What I want to suggest is that this very consummation of human nature participates in great holocausts. You and I could name the greatest of holocausts, right? We, could, we have names for those, but there are invisible ones all around us. People who mine for the magnets that run our batteries and machines and whole groups of people displaced. We can think of the historical holocaust of indigenous peoples in this world. Texas has a particular part of that history Holocausts are constantly with us in order to churn that out. The cereal and grain offerings are another kind of sacrificial act, not just the consummation of the whole thing, the whole body, but rather the cereal offering where we take and we consume after giving thanks to God, yet not ever knowing where it came from or who gave it to us. And then the one I think we're particularly adept at at human beings is the scapegoat. The offering and death of some creature so that everything will be put back in order. (laughs) So that we can fix everything 
we will do these things. We will scapegoat that person. And this happens in our friendship circles, in our families, in our workplaces, in our politics as a society. We will point at that. If that person weren't here, all of our problems would be over, right? Scapegoating, create order from the disorder and let somebody take on all of our failures. This is not new. (laughs) This is ancient religious studies. (laughs) Human beings have been acting this way forever. But in Christianity, what we come to understand is that there's only (laughs) one thing that could happen to relieve us from all of this, which is a God who sacrifices God's self. It can only take the sacrifice of a God to undo all that we seek forgiveness for. Only Christ fits all of those sacrificial categories, if you will. Only Christ can take on the human horror, the war, the shootings, the acts of violence, everything. To understand that Christ is at the center of it begins to piece together the fact that we are unable so far to save ourselves, and the Christian message is good luck with that. We're gonna, these are the lives we live. <laughs> Where are you going to turn? And you can choose to continue with eyes closed to mumble along in some way or to recognize that it's only Christ's sacrifice that relieves us, that forgives us, that loves us enough to say, yeah, look at how you were in the world, <laughs> but I love you. I love you. I will give myself to end the meaninglessness of all of this. And we begin to recognize, I think, that as that happens, that we are able to have some new footing. Because we're able to look at the world a little differently. We're able to, instead of seeing it the way we see it, we're able to see it from God's vantage point of the cross. We're able to see it from a God who loves so much, as we say in our tradition, that God would give God's self for us. And that means that we can name the people. We begin to say, wait, I want to know that person's name. Wait, I want to know where that came from. Wait, I want to know how that came to be. I want to know how I receive that. And I want to speak those names out loud. I don't want them to be hidden and to be in a place where I don't see them. I want to recognize. I want to give thanks to God, yes, but I want to give thanks to God and all the people who sustain all of my livelihood. I am unable to have an unnamed sacrifice for me any longer. I'm willing to love and care for each person in the world that is around me. And that causes us in Lent to have to undertake a few things. So I'm just going to bring it home now with a few things, okay? One, it is to recognize our complete dependence upon God. And that while we're living with the horrors of this world, which have been with us forever, we have to depend upon God and God's love. It is the only abiding gift that lasts forever, which is present no matter how far we walk away. It's always present for us. 
It is to recognize that we, in our work, will have to make decisions and become martyrs instead of requiring other people to be martyred for me. It means I have to sacrificially act by maybe not having that, by not requesting that of somebody, (laughs) by choosing to purchase something differently that was grown differently, that has a different impact on others. Maybe I choose not to go with the big corporation, but with the family down the street that I know. We make sacrificial decisions then where our desires are not the ones that rule the world, but rather we begin to serve God by making different decisions. That we return to the Eucharist on a weekly basis. Now, I know that's a lot to ask. But I've found over these years of living that only coming on a regular basis am I able to remember I am not the center of the universe. And it just it doesn't take a day, two days, a week, a month, and I'm right back at it. Center of the universe, Andy Doyle. And then I have to come back here to remember that the horror of the world and the failure of my life is all gathered up in the love of God at this table. Food that is given to me freely so that I may try and live a life closer to the life of Christ. And that I can only do that when I depend upon God. Somehow it doesn't seem to work when I depend upon Andy. I don't have enough inside of me to make that work. And finally, there is the spiritual practice to realize I am not the high priest of my life, but that Christ is the high priest of my life. And so I draw close to the wisdom of that teacher. I draw close to that knowledge and that understanding. I draw close to someone who seems to have no categories for anyone. Just love that just pours out. This is the priest I need to be close to. This is the priest that truly changes my life. Now I've got a lot of questions. Lots of questions. Jacob's going to be gone next week, so you won't be able to come to Jacob with your questions. But Sarah's prepared and ready all week long. Seven days in this week, maybe 14, you can go to Sarah and ask her anything. She's been trained. She's ready to go. But what we know is that God doesn't expect us to have answered the questions. But God does hold us with all of that. And there isn't, as Paul reminds us, anything that separates us from the love of God. There will be no principalities, no powers. Nothing in this world will ever do that again. 
so Christ can hold us in that as our great high priest, perhaps we could lean in a little more. And over the next 36-something days of Lent, to take those questions about how the world works and my part in it, and to ask for forgiveness from the great high priest and realize that's already been taken care of and receive the love that waits for us so that on Easter Sunday we may celebrate with great joy not a dust and ash that has the last word but one that is the first word of a life with God eternally. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.